All right, constructors are member functions. And again, I'll abbreviate functions FNCS uh, quite often with two special properties. One, same name as the class. So for example, if your class is called fraction, your constructor's name will be fraction, right. That's not enough. The other special requirement is that the function has no return type. And when I say no, I don't mean the void return type, which you can sort of think of have, you know, as having no return type, right? If so a void function doesn't return any value. When I say no return type, I really mean not even void, like just none, just none specified at all. What are they used for? Use to create or construct, which is where that name comes from, objects. And in fact, we've all we've already used the uh, constructors in the last class, and I'll show you um, why that is. So to relate this to the bunny example, the bunny cookies that we did the other day. Uh, so if you recall that example, basically had a glob of dough, and I had a bunny cookie cutter, right? Which I'll which I'll a little more realistically size this time. Actually, that's still pretty big compared to the dough. All right, so these are massive cookies. Um, so I use this this, uh, this cookie cutter to make cookies. And by the way, when I talk about cookies, I don't mean like HTML cookies or like anything in your web browser. This is actually bunny cookies. So that you would eat, for example. Uh, cookie cutter. So you take the cookie cutter and you stamp out different cookies, where my hand mark is. That's sort of like constructing cookies or creating cookies. So every time my hand stamps this uh, sheet of dough, I've created a new cookie. Likewise, you can use constructors to create objects. There's very important um, differences between the two of them, though. So for example, the next thing I did after I stamped these cookies, I added some topics, right? I said, this one has sprinkles. Uh, maybe this one has marshmallows. This one has M&Ms. I don't know how I'm going to draw those. Let's see. You guys still I really like drawing cookies on the board? Anyway, so, um, so as you can see, there's different ways to construct these cookies or to create these cookies. I could have just left one blank, right, with no toppings, just a plain cookie. This is called, we'll call this the default cookie. So just a plain cookie with no toppings whatsoever. And likewise, you can sort of make default objects with no um, special kinds of values, just, just a plain cookie cutter, no pun intended, um, object. Or you can have uh, different different cookies with different kinds of sprinkles on them when you make them, right? So constructing a cookie may entail adding toppings, for example, sprinkles. Uh, thus, there are multiple ways to create these cookies on the dough, right? I could leave it plain. I can add 
toppings to it. I can put some maybe food coloring. Who knows? So likewise, there are actually multiple ways to create objects using constructors. And I'll abbreviate constructor quite often as CTOR, which is, is, is a pretty common abbreviation. So multiple ways to, well, let me say construct here. Construct objects in C++. These correspond to multiple constructors. So thus, for a single class, Um, there can be multiple CTORs or constructors for that class. Well, that raises an interesting question. What's that? Anyone can read my mind? So if I said that a constructor is a special member function that has the same name as a class, no return type, and you can have multiple of them. If, yes. I guess the question would be, if they have the same name, how can they be? Yeah, if they have the same name, right, how do you distinguish between the constructors? More specifically, how does the compiler know that these are different constructors? Uh, when you, how, do you, how does the compiler know which constructor is being called at a particular client um, program, right? At a call site where, where a function is being called. So the key is that CTORs, or constructors, are identified by their parameter list. And if anyone did the extra credit, I know some people did do the extra credit for um, the standard deviation homework. There was the extra credit pertained to function overloading. This is called constructor overloading. Called, excuse me, constructor overloading. And you can actually do this with functions as well, with uh, in a general case. So you could have functions with the same name, and as long as their parameter list differs, and when I talk about parameter lists, I really mean the types of parameters and the number of parameters in combinations. Um, note that the return type doesn't factor in to what to, to this equation. Um, so you can have multiple functions with the same name, and as long as their parameter types vary, then or this, their parameter lists vary, then they're okay. So the, the compiler can distinguish between them. And the same thing goes for constructors. In fact, I mean, this is really the only way to have multiple constructors since of these special requirements. So, different combinations of types and parameters. Alright, so examples of different parameter lists. So, here is um, an example of a bunch of parameter lists who are different. 
So let's say int A, int B, and I'll say does not equal um, the parameter list in A. That does not equal the parameter list fraction A, where fraction is our type. On the other hand, some ones uh, that would be equal would be, so there's my equals, let's say, in A, in B, would equal in B, in A. So that's an example of, of equal parameter lists. So note here that really the name of the parameter doesn't factor into the equation. So really what's important is the type of the parameter when you're declaring functions. Of course, when you define functions, you do need to name your parameters. Um, but it is optional in C++ to name your parameters um, upon the declaration of functions. And the, you know, the reason I like you guys to do that is because I like to have like a, you know, as simple as possible, like a copy and paste job between the declarations and function headers, which is the first line of the definition. So when we were doing, back when we were doing normal functions, the only difference was what? Between declaring a function and defining a function, as far as the first line is concerned. Yeah, right. The semicolon becomes a compound statement. Um, now, the only difference, well, on top of that, is um, when you're defining member functions, you need to prefix the name of the class, uh, excuse me, the name of the member function with the class name, followed by the scope resolution operator. So now there's two differences. So I try to keep it as simple as possible. But it is optional to name your parameters. So really, the types and the number of parameters are what's important. Um, and this would also equal So do all these three are the same. And here are examples of different parameter lists. So if you make multiple constructors for your object, for your classes rather, you need to have um, different parameter lists for them. And we'll see an example with that uh, with fraction. Okay, so I mentioned previously that we have been actually calling constructors uh, in the last class. And it turns out that a constructor is automatically called every time an object is declared. So for example, uh, what we had in our, in our main function, which is an example client function to class fraction, uh, we declared a fraction called frac. So we said fraction, fract. And right here and there is a call to the default constructor. And it turns out that the default constructor corresponds to the constructor that has no parameters. So the empty parameter list. So 
a default constructor is one that takes no parameters. So how does the declaration of one of those look like? So for, let's say for, for fraction. So the name of the class would be fraction, right? So this would be the declaration of this. So the fraction, no breaks. Um, yeah, I think I'll leave it at that. Okay, well, we didn't, def we didn't define, or rather, we didn't declare any constructors in our class from last time. So I just mentioned to you guys, well, we call the constructor right there, right? So from our class from last time, or from our class from last class. So the fraction, let's get the fraction class back on the board here. So basically our declaration was as follows. So this is in a file called fraction.h. So we have class fraction, followed by a private section which included two uh, members, or two uh, member data, rather. Both integer, uh, num, followed by den. So that was our private member data section. Then we open up a public section. And recall that private is not available to clients. So to client functions like main, for example. And these are available to clients. Like main. By the way, does anyone recall why we did that? What's the motivation for, for hiding data from clients? There's a couple different reasons we do that. Want to take a stab at it? So I'll give you an analogous situation. Um, do you have to know how integers are represented in binary to work with the int data type? Or do you need to know how doubles are represented in memory with mantizas and such? If you, if you did the extra credit, you'd probably know about that. Um, to use a double type? What's the answer? Oh, right? We just declare an integer. We declare a double. Very high level, right? And we just we use it as such, right? We can add two doubles together. We can um, subtract two doubles, and we don't have to worry about how the, the binary representations are are um, manipulated to achieve the results. We just we just go ahead and write you know d1 plus d2. So likewise, if we're making our own fraction type, we really don't need to show clients um, what a fraction type consists of. Right? So they want to do things like declare fractions, like we have on the board there. They want to add, maybe add fractions together, which is what you'd be doing on your homework. Uh, maybe multiply fractions together, which could be for extra credit for your homework, perhaps. They, uh, they might want to do other things, right? Uh, maybe they want to find the reciprocal of a fraction. Maybe they want to reduce a fraction. 
So they don't really need to know, uh, per se, how, you know, that a fraction consists of an explicit numerator and denominator that are represented by integers. So one reason is abstraction. Can anyone think of another reason that we want to hide direct access to this data or not give clients direct access to the data? Yes? So they can't change it in any They can't change it in what way that's important. Yeah. Why would you want to know about changes? What's one particular situation that would be very dangerous? Or if, invalid, rather. If you could just set the denominator equal to zero. Exactly. Right. So you want to prevent clients from setting, for example, the denominator equal to zero. So that's, there's no such number with a fraction with a denominator of zero. It's not a number. I think we talked about this last time. And you want to guard against that. So that logic is going to be built into your class, which is really nice for clients. So the clients don't need to worry about that. If it ever happens, uh, the fraction class will, will tell the client that, hey, there is a, you know, a, um, there's a violation of a constraint, namely that the denominator is not equal to zero, that occurred. And I'll show you guys how to do that. There's a way you can do that in C++. In fact, there's multiple ways. Um, there's a very crude way which we'll be learning about, and there'll be a, very, a much more elegant way which we won't be learning about. But I'll tell you, how to, you know, about that if you'd like to know more offline. So you can go research that, uh, probably in future classes or on your own. Okay, anyway, so that, those, are, uh, those are two different motivations for um, hiding the member data from clients. Okay, so to continue on here, we had a couple different functions. We had a read function and a print function, I believe. Void print. Right, this prints new member done. And void read. I think with this, this one we did in class, right? This, um, ooh. And I think for this one we said, oh, enter num space then, right? In fact, you could do it with the um, with the slash there too, and maybe I'll show you how to do that. It's it's quite easy. Okay, so we had this so far, right? This is our complete class declaration, and with this class declaration, we can have client code like this. Well, assuming this is a main function, and you pound include fraction that age, right? So I mentioned here that a constructor is automatically called every time an object is declared. Well, here we're declaring an object, namely we're declaring prep. So, coincidentally, there must be some constructor call there. Anyone want to take a guess what, what constructor is being called there? Starts with a D. Default constructor, right. <coughs> well, we didn't write a default constructor. There is no <laughs> member function whose name is the same name as a class and, takes, and has no return type, right? There's only two member functions, print and read. So it turns out that you automatically get one from the compiler. So there's some magic that goes on here. And don't be too excited because it's not very useful in C++ anyway. So it turns out the compiler gives you a quote-unquote free constructor, and it's the default constructor. 
So let's buy one, get one free. Make a class, get a constructor. So the compiler gives you a free default constructor with any class declaration. I feel like I'm in a Burger King commercial. Anyway, so declare a class, you automatically get a free default constructor that does nothing. And that's the problem. So does anyone remember what the initial values of member data are um, for classes in C++? I think we discussed it a little bit last time. So for example, to put it more con concretely, if I said this, what would happen? Wrapped dot print. What would that print? So we know it prints the new over again, right? So there I have a fraction whose, um, that was constructed rather with a default constructor that was provided free by the compiler. And this constructor does nothing. It just constructs the objects. But what would it print there? It's kind of a trick question. If I just declared a fraction and just went ahead right away and printed it. Any guesses? What will happen? Garbage. Yeah, it's garbage. It's right. So your computer will blow up. Seriously, it would catch on fire and there'd be sparks everywhere. No, um, your, pro your program will probably crash because you'll be accessing an uninitialized variable. In fact, you'll be accessing two uninitialized variables, right? The numerator and denominator. And this really goes away, you know, this really corresponds or is analogous to the way uh, we've used variables in the, in the past, right, with integers and, and doubles and bools. If you, you know, sent some variable that wasn't initialized to C out using the insertion operator, for example, uh, your program can crash because you're uh, referencing undefined uh, pieces of memory. It's the same deal here. So the constructor has no um, default values for memory data. So it's pretty useless. So that's why I said don't get too excited. Um, it's not always useless, but all right, yeah, maybe it is. I don't know. If you have a class with no member data, then I guess it's pretty useful. So the problem is no default values assigned to member data. This is not the case in other languages like C Sharp and Java, for example. Um, I know in Java, which is based off C++, um, integers get the default value of zero. Bulls get the default value of false, or there's booleans in Java actually, but yeah, so you don't get that, that luxury in, in C++ unfortunately. So what you're going to have to do, oh, well hold on a second. Well, let's ask this question. Well, what if it did give you zeros? So hypothetically speaking, that you know this free constructor you get from the compiler actually fills in zeros for numerator and denominator. So that would still be a problem, right? Because the denominator would be zero. So either way, we have a problem, and either way, we need to do something called overloading the. Um, what's it? Overloading, overriding. I think I want to say overriding in this case. Yeah. So. Override, or you can think of that as like rewriting. 
override the default constructor by explicitly declaring it. Oh, and one thing I should mention here is that you get this free constructor, which is useless, only if you don't declare any other constructors. So you get a free default constructor with any classic relation as long as there are no other constructors. Sorry for to squeeze all this in. So anytime you have a constructor, for example, if you had a constructor that takes two integers, maybe a, a numerator followed by a denominator, um, you no longer have the free one. So what does that mean is that if we had a constructor like this, and you'll recognize this from your homework, so here's a constructor that takes in a numerator and a denominator and will uh, assign n and d to new and den respectively. Once this is down here, that free constructor is gone. So what does that mean for this code up here? So let's get rid of this because this is a problem. So suppose we have just, just a, that line there. Any problems with that line? Everything OK? There has to be a problem with it, right? Because otherwise, I wouldn't be asking you. There's no default constructor. Yeah, there is no such constructor. So when you specify, um, when, you call, when you declare a fraction just like that without any parameters, or just even not even any, any braces, I mean, any presences at all. Uh, that's a call to the default constructor. And once you override, or overload the constructor in this case, uh, there is no such constructor, right? So you don't get the, you don't get the free one as long as you uh, make your own. So to rectify this situation, we can just explicitly <coughs> declare one here. So here we have overridden the uh, default constructor, and we've also overloaded the constructor here as well. So uh, this one assigns new um, n to new and d to den. And this one will be like the empty fraction, or uninitialized fraction. But it has to be valid still. So what would you, what would you imagine that after calling the default constructor that we are, we're overriding here, uh, what would you imagine the, the values of the numerator and denominator of the object would be? Pick, pick something. Zero and one. Zero and one, yeah. Sure, that's a good one. Um, yeah, that's fine. So it's like, like a zero. Well, maybe not, because if you take the reciprocal before you initialize the variables, then you could, it could be a problem with having zero. Yeah, but we don't have a reciprocal function yet. Oh. Yeah, but well, once we do, that's something to think about, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, lots of extra credit ideas. <coughs> Reciprocals, uh, reduce, <coughs> multiplication. We'll think about that. Maybe I'll assign some extra credit. Um, and I think I'll have, to, I'll have to start adding extra credit somewhere else because the homework extra credit is getting pretty full. So I'll think of a new category for that. Okay.
Any questions so far? Should we do some of this together? So we did read, right? So let's take a look at um, let's take a look at this constructor. I think. Let me see what the homework looks like. Yeah, so we'll do, we'll do a little bit of the homework today. Has anyone started the homework that has finished the uh, constructors at all? Yeah. So let's pretend for a moment that this is going to be the fraction.cc file. And here we're going to have our corresponding definitions of our member functions. So we'll include fraction.h up here. We're also, need, we're also going to need IO stream for read and print. And it was pointed out in the last class that it's not a good idea to include IO stream here because it may also be included in clients as well. Is that what you're just going to say? I was going to say I was thinking about it, and that header doesn't work because you can't name the variables in the fraction. It should be fraction in comma in, not in and comma in d. It should be optional. Yeah, it's optional. You can, like I said before, you can leave off. So the parameter names are not actually part of the method that correlation, but they're optional. I tried it that way when I was doing the homework and it didn't like it. Really? What, what, see me after class. We can look at it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always optional, but I like to put it here because it, it's a nice, easy copy and paste job between the declaration and the definition. I don't think you can send Are you using GCC or G++? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, um, G++ should be okay with it. So... <clears throat> By the way, GCC is the compiler for C. Um, G++ is, would also compile, C, compile C programs, but it's exclusive for, G++, uh, for C++. OK, so um, all right, so yeah, so it's pointed out last class that you know, including IO stream will have like a double include or something like that. Um, that's certainly possible. However, you know, most class decorations or, or definitions, rather, are not going to have like printing through the screen and stuff. So this is just for our purposes. So for our purposes, for learning purposes, it should be OK. All right, so let's go back to the read. Um, let's just repeat that from last time. And I'll make it a little more fancy this time. So this will be void. It's a member function, so I'm going to prefix the name with the class name, which is fraction, followed by a scope resolution operator, followed by the function name. And when you really think about the names of member functions as sort of being not just the name of the function, but also like the class name as well. So like read is its first name and fraction is its last name or vice versa. I mean really the complete um, name of this of this function is fraction read. If you think of it that way. So anyway, that denotes that read is going to be a member function, which correspondingly gives it access to the private member data of fraction. Take some no parameters. Let's open up a compound statement here. Okay, and let's make it a little more fancy. I'm just going to basically repeat what I had from last time, but. We're going to, this time, input num over den. So actually, the user, when using this, uh, this function, rather, is going to write, like, for example, 5 slash 2 for, for 5 seconds. Or 5 halves, I should say. Or 1 over 2 for, for a half. 
So they're actually let write a, a slash there. <coughs> so maybe that's more aesthetically pleasing. Anyway, the way we can do that is I'm just going to repeat the code from last time. We have cn new. Actually, that code wasn't completely correct, was it? There was a problem with that code. Oh, let me put the code that was up here last time. Yeah, actually, that code was, was wrong. <laughs> All right, so what's wrong with this code? Or what could be wrong with this code? Anything dangerous there? Yeah, that's true. They can only input the numerator. Yeah, maybe we had a prompt here, remember? We said CF. Oh. Yeah, enter num space then or something like that. So we'll instruct them to do that. But think about what I said about the, um, the class being itself concerned with its valid the validity of its state. That it's a valid fraction. So is it possible that after this read um, function call that this st the state of this fraction, when I talk about state of an, of an object, I mean state of member data corresponding to the object? Is it possible that it's invalid, that state? So what situation could, could that occur in? Yes? They put a zero. Yeah, they put a zero here, yeah. So that's not going to work. You're going to have an invalid fraction. So what we want is for the fraction to account for that such thing. So let's change this code a little bit. So actually this was put This is called an exceptional situation. So never it could be anything, as long as it's an enter, in this case. Uh, so we'll see in extract new, that's fine. And the next thing we'll do is, I guess I could have kept the same code. All right, so we'll extract uh, new from the, from the keyboard and extract then from the keyboard as well. And really, I should say that the constraint should be enforced. So the validity of this, of this fraction should be enforced in between member function calls. So at this point, it's possible that den could be 0, right? That's OK. What it's not OK is that if the function ends and den is still 0, that's bad. So inside the member function execution, um, you can violate the constraints. We'll say it that way. By the way, that doesn't really work for concurrent programs, the programs that run in um, parallel. That could be bad. Because then could be zero during the, the middle of this execution, and another program can access the state. And by state, I mean the values of variables, or values of member data in this case. Anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent there. So yeah, so if then is zero by the time this, this member function is finished executing, we're in trouble. But it could be zero here. And what we're going to do is we're going to enforce that it's not zero. Uh, what you could do here is write a little loop, right, and say, you know, check to see if den was zero, and if it is, and ask for it again, and persistently ask the user. We've all done this before in previous homeworks, right, until den is not zero. That's one way to do it. Uh, there's a more crude way to do it, which I mentioned previously, and that's called something, uh, something called assert, asserting that den is not zero. So there's a function called assert. It's from the C assert library, which happens to be part of the C Language, um, that's okay in this case. C assert, unless there is a C++ version of it, I'm not aware of any. So you include a library called C assert, and that, with that comes a function called assert. It takes in one parameter, at least in this basic form, 
and that is a Boolean expression. If this Boolean expression evaluates the true, then nothing happens. It just continues as normal. If, however, the Boolean expression evaluates the false, then the program terminates. No, I didn't say crashes. It doesn't crash, it terminates. It just ends. So for one, I guess for one thing I should mention before I get to that, why can't I do something like this? So I want to say if then equals zero return. Why would this not really do what I want? So let's say I just want to end the program. So if I said, hey, this, if this uh, constraint is violated, by the way, these are formally called class invariants. If this class invariant is violated, namely that den is equal to zero, then I want to end the program. Which is quite crude. Weird. All right, let's do one of the constructors. Which one do I want to do? Let's do, let's do this one. Or should we do this one? Actually, yeah, let's do this one. Let's do the default constructor. OK, so continuing on the fraction.cc file. And by the way, the order, the way you define these doesn't matter, um, as long as they're declared in the header file. All right, so this is going to be default constructor. All right, so what's my header line going to be? What's the first line of this function def definition going to look like? Any guesses? So I want to define the default constructor that builds the empty quote-unquote fraction. So how do I start writing that? What's the name of the function? Fraction. Right, so let's start with that. How many parameters? None. Right? Yes? Is this still in the fraction.cc file? Uh-huh. Any return type? Nope. It's a constructor. doesn't have any return type. Right? It is what kind of function, though? Is it a member function, or is it just a normal non-member function? It's a member function, right? So what must all member functions have before them? The class name, right? Followed by the scope resolution operator. OK, that's, that's the first line of the function definition. By the way, that's called the header line. The first, the first line of definition is always called the header, which matches the declaration, except for the things I mentioned. So, OK, so fraction, scope to fraction. I guess that's the way you can read that. And let me fill this up right here. So this is continuing on the, uh, the fraction.cc file. Okay, any volunteers for the implementation of this? Or the definition of this? What's the code for this function? 
Yes. Noom equals one, Dan equals one. Noom is assigned one. Uh, Dan is assigned one. Yep, that's certainly one way to do it. Um, if you want to have it zero, like you want the empty fraction to actually be the value zero, you can just change numerator to zero. Yeah, but this is perfectly fine. It can really be anything. It's just like a starting value, whatever you want it to be. So back to this guy. Oh, we didn't. Have, oh, we did. All right, good. Oh, this really worked out well. So I said this would give us trouble. Remember this print line here? The frac.print. So I said that would crash, right? So would that crash now? No. What would that print? Prints. One over one. Awesome. So it doesn't crash now. So we've overridden the default constructor. So no free constructor from the compiler anymore. Which is what we want in this case, because we can't have these undefined anyway. So any questions about that? Yes? Um, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, so there's a dot, dot, dot. Not the band, the uh, text. Has anyone heard of that band? No? They're a cover band. They're, they play at the, um, what is it, the bar in Dublin? I can't remember the name of it. Flanagan's, I think. They play there quite often. They're pretty good. All right, anyway. So they're an 80s cover band. Yeah, good. Okay, so now that works. Um, all right, you need to do this one. So I'll start these. You have to do the print one. Okay, what else? For third, uh, for Tuesday rather. <sighs> Function is up before him. Blah 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 blah. All right, you need another function to convert a fraction to a decimal. So not only are you going to write that function definition, you're going to declare it as well. So you'll design that function. And when I mean function design, I mean really coming up with a fraction deck relation. And a really good way to come up with these fra fraction deck relations is actually to like sort of like write like a hypothetical like client function, like a main function. See, like how you how would you want to call these functions? And that would give you a hint as to what the deck relation should be. All right, you need a function to convert an integer to a fraction. And by the way, when I say function, that may also include constructors. So you can have another constructor if you like. So remember, constructors are also functions. They're member functions as well. And by the way, all three of these are going to be member functions. Um, number three, add two fractions together. And I highly recommend that, yeah, all three of these are member functions. Um, it is possible to write the third one as a non-member function, a non-member function just being the functions we've written before we got the object orientation. Um, that would be perfectly OK. But for what we're doing in the next uh, lesson or so, I recommend writing number three, add two fractions together, uh, design that to be a member function. Because when we get the operator overloading, it's going to be quite easy to uh, do that homework if you do, if you do it that way. Otherwise, you're going to need to do some rearranging. But surely, number three could be a non-member function as well. And remember that you can also have non-member functions in here uh, in class deck relations. In fact, you, know, you could invert it you know, who knows where. Um, 
what distinguishes functions between member and non-member functions is the the uh, class uh, the scope resolution operator here. So you could have like you know another function here void non-member function. That would be fine. And you could likewise declare it here. So, for example. Uh, but yeah, I recommend that number three is a member function. Okay, details. Uh, so I give you there a, an equation to add two fractions. Uh, okay, submit source code, right? Three different files. Uh, Fraction.h is the class declaration. Fraction.cc is the um, definition file. And fract driver will be the test test function, the test uh, program. So just, you know, for the test program, just call your functions, just make sure they work and stuff. Um, that's really all I'm looking for there. Uh, make sure you're upholding the class invariant, so make sure that if there's a chance for a denominator to be zero, make sure it's not. You can use the assert function, you can use a loop. Uh, note that a loop doesn't make any sense in this constructor. Yes? Um, I just had a question about Right. Should we be calling the read function from there, or should and, and then passing that along to the um, function, or when we call it, go ahead and call a read from in there to get the values? Um, I recommend calling every function at least once. So I recommend having a call to read. And I recommend having a call to this constructor as well. Um, what values do you give it? I'm not sure. I'm probably not answering your question, am I? Um, well, maybe you need to show me after class or something. Yeah. yeah. I had a feeling I wasn't answering your question. <laughs> I was answering that. I was like, okay, that's not his question. All right, so let's go over some extra credit. For the more, no more other questions. So for extra credit, let's add some more functions. And I promise I'll, I'll, I guess I'll apply this extra credit to the midterm or something. I don't know. Or the final? Should I do the final? Extra credit for the final? Yeah, okay. Extra credit for the final. Because, yeah, the, the, mid, the homework category is, like, completely full of extra credit. There's, like, no room for any other extra credit in there. In the homework category, is it possible to get more than, than 11 points? Right now, though. Okay. I'll see if I'll, I'll change it. We'll see how it pans out. So yeah, right now it's not. Um, on the midterm category, it is. You can okay. get more than uh, 30, 22 points actually. So, all right. So extra credit on the final. All right. So since it's going to be off of the final, let's say implement all these functions. Implement. Following member functions, so they must be member functions. One, multiply. So design and define a uh, member function that multiplies two fractions. It's going to be very similar to the add. Similar to addition. Have a different name. It's going to have a different definition. Um, it's very easy to multiply different two different fractions, right? So if you have a over b um, times c over d, 
that's going to equal AC times O over BD. So that's the equation to do that. Uh, let's do reciprocal. Hold on, I have a spell check around here. Recip. It is a word, but I don't know if it's the same one I need. Given, felt, or done in return. Oh, yeah, that's right, mathematics. Related to another, so their quantity, their their product is one. Oh, isn't that interesting? That's right. Okay, cool. Alright, so reciprocal, uh, multiply. And what's the other one I mentioned? The really fun one. And remember? Reduce. Simplify, yeah. Uh, this is going to be hard. So these two should be pretty straightforward, and this one's going to be a little harder. And if you look on the carbon content page, I have an algorithm to, um, to do that. Uh, let's see where it is. It's called Euler's Method. Question? No. So if you take a look at uh, the Carmen content page under the, um, the fraction homework, there is Euler's method, and that shows you how to find the smallest terms of, of a fraction, so to reduce a fraction. So I mentioned that um, member functions can be private or public. So right now we just have public member functions, and I think that these two should be public. And it's really, you know, it's really a creative process about going and designing these these uh, these classes because, and even this, like function libraries because you have to think about like all the ways people can use it, other than yourself, or even yourself. I mean, do you even know the way you'll be using it? You don't know. I right? assign some who knows what kind of project at the end of the class that you have no idea what you'll be doing. So you have to sort of think when you're designing these things like, what are all the ways that people would use my class or my function library, etc. Uh, so I would think that pub, that multiply and reciprocal are, is something that you want to have available to clients, right? Because those are useful functions. What about simplify or reduce, whatever you want to call it? So that would be a member function to um, to reduce the fraction to its lowest terms. So for example, uh, two over four becomes one over two. What if we altered the class invariant to say not only does the denominator of a fraction never equal zero, but it's always in its lowest terms? So after the end of every uh, member function execution, the fraction will always be in its lowest terms. That would be a nice class invariant, right? So you, have, you never have to worry about you know, having a fraction in, in larger terms. So if you did it that way, let's, let's assume no one wants a fraction that's not in its lowest terms. Let's assume, make that assumption. Um, would that function need to be available to clients, you think? No, no one would need to use it, right? Because the member functions themselves would be responsible for obtaining that invariant, just like they obtained this one, or maintain this one, rather. So at the end of any member function that alters the values of Newman-Den, and this is part of the extra credit, by the way, 
So you you're going to need to call that. So you decide to do extra credit and do a simplify function. Your member functions must maintain that a fraction is always at the end of every member function execution in its lowest terms. So if you have a member function that alters the values of Neumann den, guess what you need to do before that function ends? You need to call. Yeah, you need to call like a reduce function. So let's do that really quick. So let's imagine you have a reduce function. Let's, let's design it too. And this one's going to be a private function. So we'll put it, you can have another section um, after the public fact. I don't think you guys can see that. So let's write it up here. I'm just going to make some room up here. So we have the numerator, and we have the denominator. All right, so I'll have another uh, a private member. Uh, this will be a member function. I'll call it reduce. Any parameters? What what would reduce need? Just the yeah these the, right the private member is no parameters and no return type. So it alters the it alters the object it was called on. Okay, great. Um, oh, and semicolon. Okay, so likewise, you would need to define it here, right? So void uh, fraction, and just because it's private, the fact relation doesn't, you know, nothing changes in definition. So, so here's a private member function fraction reduce, and this is where they implement it, right? Definition there. Okay, so I just mentioned, so this is the last thing I want to go over really quick. Uh, so you need, if you do the reduce, you should call it from your member functions that alter the state of the fraction, right? So the values of Newman den are going to change. So here's one, and we call these mutator functions, by the way. So anything, any member function alters the state of the fraction is called a mutator uh, function. Uh, a non-mutator function or... Uh, an accessor function, as we like to call it, like for example, the print function does not alter the state of the fraction. So print just prints out the fraction, right? It doesn't change Newman den. Read will change Newman den. Uh, likewise, this this will be a mutator function, right? Any constructor is going to be a mutator function, typically. So those will need to call reduce, um, except for this one, right? Because you already know that you know one over one is in the lowest term, so you don't need that one. You will need to call from here. So right now, um, you will need to call it from this constructor and the print function. Oh, excuse me, the read function. So we'll do this in class, and we'll do this one. Do this one on your own. So, okay. So here is my read function. So let's put one more line here, and this is where it gets tricky. Okay. So I have this read function, right? Prompts the user num over den. Please enter those, new uh, followed by slash, followed by de denominator, C and extract new, ignore next, next character, and extract denominator. Assert that denominator is not equal to zero. So uh, in this case, you know, there, there is possibility that these uh, are not entered in the lowest terms. Right? For example, um, new can be two and den can be four. So we want to reduce that. And we don't want that logic here. We want it in one place. We want it in, in a function, right? So we have this reduce function here, or declared here, rather. Where the heck? Oh, here, right. <laughs> OK, and only 
Other member functions can call this function. So this is not available to clients. So here's the trick. Here's the, the million dollar question. Let's assume that this is defined, right? That we have a definition for reduce. And in fact, you, even, you can call any function without having its definition, which is great. It just does nothing. But I guess I don't need to assume that. How can I call reduce from here, given that it's a member function? Remember, member functions must always be prefixed by a selection operator and prefixed by the object you're calling it on. So this is the trick. It's actually not always the case. There's one exception to that. Any guesses? How can I call reduce? To reduce this fraction, right? Yes? That's a good guess. Very close. What's the problem here? It's a very good guess. What is this? What is, what is fraction? Class. It's class. Right, it needs to be an object. Yeah, you need, you need to say, I want to reduce this fraction. Like the fraction I'm inside of, you know? So you can sort of think of these like functions being executed inside the objects. That's one way to think of it. Um, it's very close. So the question is, well, how do I have access to the object that was called? Right? So for example, uh, let's continue this one here. So suppose this isn't a read, right? Suppose I call frac.read here. So I really want to reduce fract, right? Which is the object in which read was called on. But there can be multiple objects, right, that, that call read, right? So you can have fract, fract one, fract two, and you can all call read. On, on each of them. In a loop, maybe, I don't know. So you don't actually know exactly what object this is being called on. You know that it is an object of fraction. That's all, that's, that's all you know. So what you want to say here is reduce this fraction. This fraction being the fraction that the, uh, the function was called on, right, using the selection operator. And the way you do that is as follows. That's it. So you just call it like a normal function. So that's the one, that's the one caveat. If you call a member function from, with another member function, you do not need to specify a selection operator followed by an object name. There's something called the implicit parameter, which corresponds to the object in which the method, uh, the member function was called on. So in this particular call, the implicit parameter is the object, fract. So they're really, for every member function, they're actually even if you have no explicit parameters, there actually is one parameter here. And it's the implicit parameter. It's the one that's not mentioned. And for every member function has access to the implicit parameter. And the way you can talk about the implicit parameter is implicitly. So this implicitly means reduce this fraction. Um, you can, though, refer to the implicit operator, or excuse me, the implicit Implicit parameter explicitly. Does anyone know how to do that? There is a way to refer to the implicit 
parameter explicitly? This. This, right. This is a keyword that represents the implicit parameter. However, it looks a little funny, uh, the way you use this. Uh, so instead of having a dot here, so it should be something like this, you think, right? Well, not that it shouldn't be, but you would maybe expect to say have something like that. This dot reduce. Reduce me, right? Reduce myself. You can think of it that way. Uh, in C++, it doesn't work that way. It does so in Java and C Sharp. In C++, you need to do something else. And it is an arrow operator. Yeah, so it's a, it's a hyphen followed by a greater than sign. Uh, so you can refer to the implicit parameter explicitly using the, this keyword followed by an arrow. And then the arrow serves as a selection operator for the this keyword. And when we get the pointers, we'll talk more about that. So this is like the selection <coughs> operator. Selection operator for this. And you can do this. No pun intended. Um, for every time you want to access any private member data or any member data, or me if you want to call a member function from within a member function, so in fact you could do you can you can do this literally. This arrow room. This arrow dead. That works too. So in fact, when you say num here, you're actually selecting the num member data from the this. Uh, this parameter, this object. That's optional. In fact, I do this quite a bit on, on my own code, just to make it explicit. But it's optional. You can you can talk about it implicitly or explicitly. It doesn't matter. Um, there are situations, however, where you do need to talk about the um, the this parameter explicitly, and that's when you have to send the, this the the object that the function was called on to another function as a parameter as an explicit parameter. So in that case, you you actually need to use the this um, keyword. But we don't need to use that here. Any questions on that? And we'll get we'll get more to this operator when we get the pointers. So, but for right now, think of like um, the arrow being as a special selection operator for this. And this is optional. You don't need to use it. You can just leave it blank. You can talk about it implicitly. Any questions? No. All right. I'll see you guys Thursday.